Good morning, all. Hiya. Let's just pray for the Word of God to enter our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would feed every single person in this place, that you would quicken us in spirit and in heart, and that the Word would revive us, educate us, transform us, change us from glory to glory, from strength to strength. Lord, wake us up in the spirit man, deep within us, and minister to us, God. Transform us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you here for the first time, we've spent about four or five weeks looking at a series called Prayer Changes Things. It's a fact, folks, that most of us don't know how to pray. Sorry. I really don't think we know how to pray. And it's a subject that fascinates me. I love it. And the more you dig into it, the more you realize how much you don't know. Don't answer this, please. You ever wonder why many of your prayers are not answered? Do you ever consider why? Or stop to think why? Because I believe the Bible's very clear. They came to Jesus one day. They could see that his prayers were answered. And they said, Jesus, teach us how to do that. Lord, teach us how to pray. Remember? And what did Jesus say? And this is the first mistake I believe we make. Jesus turned to them and said, Okay, I'll teach you how to pray like me. It goes like this. Our Father. And there's the first point. We don't pray to Jesus. We don't pray to the Holy Spirit. But like all things to do with God, there is order. We pray to the Father. Now you can pray to Jesus. Amen. No problem. Because God is one. However, he did make it very clear. We pray, and you should pray, to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, but in the Spirit. And if we don't have a, 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 an awareness of that, I believe it weakens our faith. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's what he said. So this is really day one. Now, to be honest, I think praying to the Father is pretty simple. We all know that God eternal, God infinite out there made the world and we can understand praying to the Father. I think praying in the Holy Spirit also is pretty easy to understand. You've all, if you're all born again there, you know the promptings of your spirit. But you know the one that's confusing? This bit. Praying through the Son. What does that mean? How do I do that? Is this the reason, Lord, that so many of my prayers go unanswered? Have I, do I intelligently, in other words, knowingly, approach the Father at all? Am I conscious of the Father in prayer? Am I aware that there is a, a, an order in heaven, as we'll see tonight? I need to be, because that's what you taught us to do. Now, today's a, it's a difficult message, so you've got no notes because please stay with me, stick with me. I want to talk around this subject to get to a point. And it's a point that you need. It's a point that I need in order to permanently structure my prayer life. And as I've been praying, I have seen some of you, I won't mention any names, but as we've been you know, praying through the week, I've seen some of your faces before me. So I know you have a problem with this. I know that God's going to do everything as far as he can to get you to understand and I pray this morning that you open not just your ears, but your spiritual being 
and hear what Jesus wants to say. You know, you know what we did. We looked at this even last week again. Scripture says that you should pray in the Spirit at all times with all manner of prayers, right? But one of the problems that this can begin to, to, to bring doubt in me, not faith. In other words, if I'm in supplication, I'm going, God, please do this, that, or the other. Please, please, please. And I don't get my answer. Many people say, okay, I'll try intercession. I'll go and get someone to stand in the gap for me. It didn't work. Okay, I'll pray the prayer of faith then. Maybe that'll work. I know I'll bring it to the Friday prayer meeting. I'm still not getting my answer. I'll fast and pray then. And we switch and we swap between the different types of prayer, trying to figure out, what is it, Lord? I've been praying for this thing for years. And I don't see, no matter what of these I use, it doesn't seem to bring me my breakthrough. What is still wrong? And today's message, I believe, can hit maybe one of those recurring factors, one of those issues that can be consistently wrong. You, do you understand what I'm saying? If, if we're not careful, it can be so complicated that it can cause you to doubt, start to doubt, not have faith. And that's not the purpose of all this. There are some things in Scripture that are complicated. Amen. Paul says that. But ultimately, most things in the Scripture can be condensed, boiled down, percolated to a simple form, like the Gospel. Gospel's very simple, if you like. God sent His Son into the world to die for sinners. Period. Hallelujah. But it's also extremely complex doctrine of soteriology, which you can write books that thick on. And so it is with prayer. Yes, it is. There are some complex things. But it should also be simple. And today, I hope that you can receive in your spirit that very thing, the simplicity of prayer. How do we get that then? Well, we get it by understanding the priesthood. By understanding the role that Jesus Christ plays for you, operates in for you today, on your behalf. And you will find the first beginnings of that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. I'll read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of he who called you out. Now, we did a series on this some years ago called The Priesthood of All Believers. And I love that. I would love to go back and look at it some time in the future. But let me begin, because I want to take you somewhere this morning. Let me start where I need to start. When I was in school, we had a teacher called Mr. Brennan. And I didn't like Mr. Brennan's classes. Because Mr. Brennan operated a policy of collective responsibility. All right? Now, many of you are not old enough maybe to receive corporal punishment. But when I was in school, the teachers made great joy in walking around with what we used to call a strap. It was a leather belt. Okay? And if anybody did anything wrong, they would have to be called out in front of the class. You would hold your hand out and the teachers would go whack. And you would get one, two, three, or if you were really bad, six of the best. Right? No, I don't know if they do that. I don't think they do it in Britain anyway anymore. But I, did, I don't mind that. I, I understand it. Spare the rod and you spoil the child. What I didn't like was the collective responsibility. That's what I didn't like. Mr. Brennan had this rule. If anybody in his class 
did anything wrong. The whole class got slapped. I hated that. I, I stand there and I think, this is wrong! This is wrong! I didn't do nothing! And he used to say, collective responsibility, boys. Collective responsibility. And man, I hated that. Well, guess what? God does exactly the same thing. Because when Adam fell, you look at Adam, but in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fall. And here I am, you can, you know, justifiably say, I didn't ask to be born. God, what's going on here? I didn't ask for this. This is truly the most serious form of collective responsibility that I find myself in, and I can't get out of it. God, are you just or unjust? Are you fair or unfair? And of course, God is fair. God is not just fair. He is, he is gracious, merciful, and just. Turn to Romans a moment. Look at this scripture. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 deals with this very issue. The people in Rome were asking this question. It's not fair on us. Why should we go to hell? Of course, all men are sinners, but you know their point. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And it says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, there's your collective responsibility. And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men. Collective responsibility. Because all have sinned. Now, we all have sinned. No problem. And now look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow? to many. Now, I don't know if you know what's being said there, but what's simply being said is this. God says to you, if through Adam's sin, the whole race falls by one man, that's terrible. That's bad news. But the good news is this. Because that has happened, right? It is now legally, if you want, legally possible for God to send one man to take away the sins of the whole human race or those who turn to him. Do you understand? So collective responsibility no longer becomes a nasty thing. It becomes incredibly good and you can see the wisdom of God in it. Now this whole principle of the priesthood or Christ taking our place goes back a long, long way. And if I can remind you some of the principles that operated, who was the first high priest? Aaron. Aaron. Prior to Aaron, what happened was God dealt with every person individually. Right? So if this person was bad, punish. This person was good, reward. But what happened was, if you remember, Moses went up the mountain and the people built themselves a golden calf. And when Moses came down, he saw it. And God realized that he was going to wipe this human race off the face of the earth. He restrained himself. How? By creating the priesthood. And he said to Moses, this is the first time we ever hear of the priesthood. He said to Moses, Moses, set apart for me one man, Aaron. And I will relate to Aaron, not to the people. Now listen, folks, it's a foreshadow of Christ. If Aaron was good, the nation of Israel was blessed. No matter how they behaved. If Aaron was bad, the nation of Israel came under a curse. 
And this was both the strength and the weakness of the old covenant. Do you see? God separated one man. And it was a foreshadow of what he was going to do for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He separated Aaron. He established that priesthood. You see, the old covenant and the new covenant have a lot in common. The old covenant was between God and who? Man. But the new covenant is also between God and man, except it's with the man, Christ Jesus. Okay? So the old covenant was between God and, if you like, Aaron. But the trouble was Aaron sinned. Aaron was a sinner. So the nation of Israel got into all sorts of trouble, and you know the story. It's tragic. The new covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. That's who it's between. It's a new covenant within the Godhead between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus takes on our humanity. You see, there were two priestly lines. Look at this. There was the line of Levi, which Aaron was in. He was that first high priest. But that line had within it blessings and curses. Blessings if Aaron did good and curses if Aaron did wrong. And Aaron did wrong. Jesus is not in this line. The Bible says that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the, the great thing about this, you have Melchizedek, you have Jesus, blessings, what's missing? The curse. There's no curse under the high priesthood of Jesus Christ because there's no sin in Christ. That's the wonder, the great, great thing of God. You will have heard many times these three things. Prophet, priest, and king, right? How Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. How every man within his home, married man, should be the prophet, priest, and king of that home. What does that mean? Well, the prophet is the one who speaks to man, if you like. If I'm a prophet, I hear from God and I announce it to you. If I'm a priest, I'm not so much speaking to you. I'm talking to God, excuse my back. The prophet is looking at you, talking to you, bringing words to you. The priest is the complete reverse. He stands before God, ministers unto God, speaks to God. So Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. We're not looking at king this morning. But it's that priesthood bit, that central bit, that I believe is one of the missing elements within our prayer lives, within my prayer life. Jesus is my great high priest. Could I have my slide up there, please? Take a look at this guy. Looks a bit like Mike the Bike, actually. Bless him. Some of you will remember him. Some of you won't. Take a look at this man's garments. This is, you know what, folks? You read your Bible. Do you ever get one of those moments when you read your Bible and you just think, do you know what? There's a God. <laughs> because you couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up, folks. I tell you, if human beings had ten eternities, they couldn't make this stuff up. You couldn't. You would never think of it. You would never dream of it. And if anyone here this morning is lost, please think about it a moment. I mean, just think of the, the garments of the high priest. They were specifically dictated how they would be constructed by God himself. Look at this. God said, I want the high priest's garments predominantly to be made of three colors. Blue, purple, and red. All of these colors had great significance that was easily understood by the people. Blue has always represented God or heaven. And in this case, 
in the high priest case, it represents Jesus as the Son of God. Purple, to this very day, represents the kingly nature of God. And red, well, red means mankind, actually. The word Adam. Dam is blood or red, and Ad is man. Red-blooded man. And the high priest garments were a prediction of what the great high priest one day would do. He was going to be clothed. Look at me, folks. He was going to be clothed in blue, which represented the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But he was also going to be clothed in red. What does that mean? He stepped down and picked up humanity. Hallelujah. Now, many of you in art school, what colors do you mix to get purple? And the Son of God stepped down and picked up the red and elevates mankind to the heights of his throne in purple, if you like. And everything within the construction of the temple, which we're going to look at tonight, the clothes that the priests wore, everything basically had enormous meaning, if only we can see it and grasp it. Now, look at 1 John a moment. Just turn to 1 John chapter 4. This is a, a scripture that has been preached on an enormous amount recently. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. It says this, In this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. And in your version, it may say, As he is, so are we in this world. Now look at this, folks. Look. As he is, as Jesus is in the heavenlies, so you can stand before the throne of God. Let me explain. In the old days, in, 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 in the Old Testament days, when two nations were going to go to war, rather than us all die collective responsibility, they had a system. What was the system? We'll get our best fighting man, and we'll send our best fighting man out there, because why should we all die? Right? And this is what David, remember David, David and Goliath, that's the story. The two nations, the Philistines and the Israelites, they thought to each other, well, why should we all die? We'll choose the best fighting man we have. You choose the best fighting man. And David would be sent off. Now listen, as the Israelites sent David off in their hearts, do you know what they said? As he is, so are we. He dies, we're all going to suffer. He lives we're all going to conquer. As he is, so are we in this world. In fact, Jewish tradition says that David cut the head off Goliath and he carried it to Jerusalem, to a hill there called Golgotha. And he dug a hole in the ground and he put the head of Goliath in that mountain. It was a prophetic picture that years later, Jesus Christ would come and bruise the head of Satan. But something's going on here all the time that you need to see and I need to see. And I'm telling you all this, folks, to basically make one simple point. <laughs> Your prayers don't have to be perfect. So you don't need to torture yourself over all of this. And you know why? Because he ever lives to make intercession. That's why. And when you pray... You don't actually go directly to the Father. You go 
through Jesus. So you see, I've had a bad day, you know. Had an argument with Jeanette. Didn't really, it's just a story. Had a bad day. Had an argument with Jeanette. This gone wrong, that's gone wrong. But I've got lots of problems I need to pray about. I don't know if I've got the faith to... Oh, of course. I'm not presenting my own prayers, am I? I'm not presenting my own prayers to the Father. I'm coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will present them to the Father because He ever lives to intercede for me. That doesn't mean He's praying all the time, by the way. His work is finished. It is finished. The very presence of Jesus Christ in heaven as fully man, fully God, that's the intercession. He ever lives. It's His life in heaven that is intercession. His presence there is intercession. Now, any child knows how to get what they want from their mom or dad, right? If mom says, no, no problem, I'll just go to dad and get dad to ask mom, right? Or vice versa. And if little kids can do it, right? I think God really maybe approaches us in the same way. I need God to answer my prayers. So I go through the one or to the one who died on the cross for me. And I can take my weak and my feeble prayer on a bad day and I can present it and give it to God and he will hear it. Jesus will take my prayer. Pui, could you come back for us? Jesus will take my, your prayer, no matter how weak, no matter how feeble, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, because he ever lives to do exactly that. But you know what, folks? I think, I suspect, look at me, that a lot of your prayers are based on your own goodness. They're based on your own righteousness. And when you don't consciously come before God, knowing that you need the Christ to go through, knowing that you need the blood of Jesus, the faith and the patience of Jesus with you, then I don't think our prayers do reach the Father. I need a consciousness of my own depravity. I need a consciousness that in and of myself, I'm actually nothing. But with Christ, I gain everything. This is the problem a lot of the time. We ask ourselves, have we got enough faith? Are we doing the right thing? And all the time, you've forgotten maybe that you're not acceptable as you come like that. Remember, when a prayer reaches God, there's only two things God the Father is looking for. Is this person aware that they need grace? Are they aware that Christ died for them? Two things, grace and faith. And are they approaching me in faith? So when you pray, instead of summoning up the faith, oh, that's fine. Instead of supplication and everything else, that's fine too. They all have their place. But instead of all of that, why don't you take your weak and feeble prayer and give it to the one who ever lives to receive it from you and he will take it to the Father. So they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now they were Jews, they understood the priesthood, they understood the system and so many of these things slip through the net with us, slip through the cracks. We don't get it. 
But Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. Forever present just for you. And ready and waiting for you to go to him and go through him. But I fear, you know what? If God the Holy Spirit was here and Jesus was there and the Father was there, I think if I was to illustrate it, we would approach God and say, Holy Spirit, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me, I'm going straight to that. Uh, uh. You're not going to do any such thing. You must go through Christ. We all must. That's the role of the high priest. And I do, as I say, I believe it's, it's missing. Last scripture. Look at Deuteronomy a moment. Look at this. It's beautiful. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 31. See the high priest garments here? See the high priest? Look at this. Do you see his shoulders? On the shoulders, does anybody know what was written? Do you know what was written? Names. Names. The names of the tribes of Israel. That's under the Old Testament. And do you know what's written on the shoulders? Look at me, folks. Please. Do you know what's written on the shoulders of Christ? As he ever lives? Jim Tran. John Cowan. Jim Top. Abube. Your names he carries before the throne on his shoulders. That's what they had. The names of the tribes were written on the high priest and he lifted them up the high priest would and lift them up and was able to enter into the presence of God and stand and God would see they faced upward God would see the names of those being brought before him and today in heaven we have Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior the Bible says many things about that that he has written his name in the palm of his hand etc but as you'll see tonight at 630 the Bible says this these things are a, a representation of what exists in heaven. You ever wondered what heaven looks like? You ever wondered what the Lord looks like in heaven? Well, the Bible says this is a representation. It looks a bit like this. That your name he carries forever before the throne of his Father, lifting you up, perfecting your prayers when you're mindful of him, when you're mindful of your need for grace, and you put faith in the saving work of Jesus, our prayers can break through before the Father. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 31. It's Moses talking, but he's actually quoting the Lord here. And he says in verse 31, And in the desert, Then you saw how the Lord your God, Then you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just like a father carries his son. You have seen how I have carried you in the very same way that a father carries his son. Folks, that's me there. That's you there. That's you right there. That's you right there. Do you know what Jesus says to you? Little children. Come here. I'll get you nice and secure and firm. When I go before the Father, a place where you would be destroyed in a flash, I'll pick you up. I hear you. I'll put you firmly on my shoulders. 
And when I enter before the Father, He won't see you. He'll see me. He'll see His Son. And He'll remember what I did. The cross, the stepping down from humanity. I heard you. And I'll tell Him of your prayers. He ever lives to do this. Now listen, folks. If I had gone to the cross, if I had died, if I'd been whipped, if I had to leave glory, it would frustrate the living daylights out of me if people didn't utilize that. Amen? If I was there waiting, come on, come through me. Come through me to the Father because it's your only way. It's your only hope. As He is, so am I in this world. Do you know this? Listen to this. If Jesus sinned, you would die. If Jesus were ever to sin, like Aaron, this whole thing would fall apart. You know, it won't go into creation, you know. But I believe every atom in this thing would fly asunder because everything is held together by his word. And if Jesus were to sin, of course he can't sin. But if he was, boom, just like Aaron, this whole humanity and you would fall apart. You would have no more cover. You would have no more salvation because he is your life. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Every day. It's just I think we forget it. We forget it. And we get cocky, self-assured, self-reliant in our prayer life. And we start to go into prayer with a good day, bad day attitude. Have I had a good day? Yeah, I'll pray. Have I had a bad day? I'll pray tomorrow. That's self-condemnation. And you can't do that. When you enter prayer, what should you be mindful of? the Lord Jesus Christ because he's there for me five weeks ago Friday night prayer everything was fine we started the Friday night prayer the worship was great I was standing on the front row I looked over Fred's there hello stands and the worship ends and I can't remember I think Pui was leading and she put the Our Father up Our Father who art in heaven and Fred broke down and started to cry and we could hear him and people looked over do you know what the problem is <laughs> he was still crying 50 minutes later the end of the meeting he cried all the way through the meeting now Fred speaks Greek and Hebrew so he sees things that you can't see I can't see and, and, and when those words came up Lord teach us how to pray our father Fred just broke because he saw in the the original languages, things we couldn't see. And at the end of the meeting, I went over to him. I said, Fred, you all right? He said, oh dear. Jesus revealed something to me. God showed me something. With the Our Father. I'd never seen it before. And his face was soaking wet. He said, Jesus didn't say, my Father. He didn't separate himself from me. He didn't look down on me. And say, there's you, and then there's my father. He didn't say that. He didn't say, your father. Where he separated himself from you or God. He said, our. He said, our. And what Fred had seen is he has stepped down into humanity. He, he has become man. The mixing of the colors. The father and the son sends his son into the world and he picks up pure humanity. That's fantastic. It's absolutely beautiful. You see, Kirsten, you got a prayer? You got something on your heart, something you're praying about? 
Peniel. Something on your heart you're praying about? Do you know the wonderful thing? I think what Fred saw is this. When Jesus goes before the throne, he doesn't say, Father, Peniel's got a prayer. I don't believe he says that. He says, Father, we, we have a prayer. And he takes yours, he puts it, puts your name on him and is willing to carry your prayer and put his own name on it before the Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. I pray that God puts that in our minds. And as much as, yes, there are technical things, amen, there are technical things, but there's something more important than that. The name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and going through him. Amen? Just invite the worship team to come back. Just bow your heads and stay seated just for a moment. I want to give you a, a, a few moments just to put your prayer life right with God. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, our Father. I want you to put God the Father in his proper place. And we pray in the name and in and through Jesus. And Lord, this morning, we put you in the proper place on the throne of our hearts as the one through whom we pray. And God, this morning, I ask you would quicken the spirit within us. We would be able to hear and to pray.